The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Isaiah 1-3 Hi, this is Pastor Jason from Christian Life Church in Waverly, New York. Welcome to Master's Crib, a weekly podcast where we interview pastors and leaders about the biblical teaching of authority. This program is designed to go alongside a personal Bible study aimed towards spiritual growth, biblical understanding, and a Christian worldview. Thanks for tuning in. So today on episode 23, we have Dr. Jonathan Sarfati. Dr. Sarfati has been a Christian since 1984. He's long been interested in apologetics, the defense of the faith, and was the co-founder of the Wellington Christian Apologetics Society in New Zealand. Creation versus evolution is, of course, a vital area because of the ramifications for the doctrines of creation, the fall, which brought death into the world, and their links to the doctrines of the incarnation, atonement, and the bodily resurrection of the God-man, Jesus Christ. He's also the author of many books, including Refuting Compromise, The Greatest Hoax on Earth, Refuting Dawkins on Evolution, The Genesis Account, a Theological, Historical, and Scientific Commentary on Genesis 1-11, through and the Creation Answers book. Dr. Sarfati, welcome to Master's Crib. Well, thank you for having me here. Good to meet you. I really, really appreciate it. So just a, a couple minutes to talk about you. How did you get tied in with Creation Ministries International? Oh, goodness. You see, I was, I, I was born in Australia, but I moved to New Zealand with, with my parents when I was very young. I uh, did my education in New Zealand, uh, got a PhD in chemistry at a New Zealand university. I, I became New Zealand chess champion as well. And then um, I, I, I got, applied for a job at Creation Ministries in uh, Brisbane, Australia, the headquarters. So that's why I had to move back to my, my birth country. Mm. And that was 96. So that's how long I've been with Creation Ministries. Now, the last 10 years, I've been with the U.S. branch of it, uh, based near Atlanta. I became an American citizen last year. Mm. Uh, so um, and I see this the creation message as foundational for just about everything else in the Bible. In fact, when you look at my commentary, there's a section there called Genesis and Systematic Theology, which shows how all the basic doctrines of Christianity um, are found in the early chapters of Genesis, at least in embryonic form. It's, everything is there. And also it has a basis for uh, human rights, real human rights and basis for marriage, basis for clothing. All those things are found there. So if you, if you don't have Genesis, um, I think the Bible is without a foundation. Hmm. Wow, that is, that is awesome. So... When you, I mean, you have speaking engagements all over the place, apart from the current uh, time that we're living in because of all that's happening, um, but typically you're kind of all over the place, right? Yeah, normally um, the, the speakers for Creation Ministries in America are trying to reach a lot of churches. Like in Australia, there are only a few major population centers, but in America, of course, everything's a population center by our standards. Uh, so we, we were out every other weekend um, to some area, um, mostly giving talks in churches because we want to reach the people in the pew to know why this is an important issue. See, we, we have a conference out and a lot of people think, well, what's the point? I mean, I believe uh, God created. Um, I don't need to come. But if you go, go for churches and explain why, if you haven't got Genesis, you haven't got an explanation for death coming through sin and therefore no real explanation of the gospel that jesus the last adam uh, took the penalty we deserved by dying on the cross because of the connection of death 
as a result of sin. So Jesus's death paid for our sins. If you haven't got Genesis, you really haven't got a foundation for the gospel. So that's why we think it's so important to, to um, talk to people in churches about this. Well, that's so amazing. So when you finish at the end of the day, you're finished with you know a, a, a talk that you give in some church or you're there for a conference or, or a meeting of some sort and um, it's all done, lights are off, you head back to the hotel or wherever you go. What do you hope and pray was accomplished by your time in that day? Hmm. Well, of course, the ideal thing is if someone is just not a Christian who comes in and becomes one uh, uh, because somehow the Holy Spirit works in his life and uses what I say. But for the most part, we're hoping to make the individual people um, more courageous in sharing the gospel. But I think most of the, of the conversions come about, the Holy Spirit uses one-on-one -on -one meetings, but why doesn't this happen? Because people uh, don't think they have the answers to all the skeptical objection because the Bible is, uh, mm. science disproves the Bible, don't you know? <laughs> okay, so it's nice for us to go there and they realize, well, hang on, science is actually um, founded on a Christian worldview and, and real science supports the Bible. So that, that's like we open people's eyes. They can now teach their kids the truth of creation as well uh, without having to uh, be embarrassed by that part of the Bible. I mean, hopefully, we even hope that the Sunday school teaches us the Bible. It's not Bible stories. The Bible is history. We're teaching mm. the kids about real history, what God has done in the past in real space-time history. So we want mm. people to get this idea the Bible can be trusted. Wow. That is so amazing. Well, I'm, I'm praying toward that end then, definitely. Definitely. So that's amazing. And actually, that makes a lot of sense. So when we look at you know all of your books, uh, th this, this makes sense. We know what you're trying to do and where you're headed, so I appreciate that. So uh, let's take a couple minutes uh, this evening and uh, tear into God's Word together. Um, pick mm -hmm. this section that you are quite familiar with, and um, that is Genesis 9. I'd just like to read the first seven verses. It says this, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is its blood. And for your lifeblood... I will require a reckoning from every beast I will require of it and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. So we're discussing tonight God's authority over the value of life. So why in the Old Testament is the idea of blood so important to understanding this passage? Well, I think the Old Testament points um, forward to the blood of the Messiah. And uh, see, even back to Cain and Abel, why was the sacrifice different? The book of Hebrews explains it was the actual offering that was different. Abel brought a blood sacrifice, Cain fought any old 
sacrifice will do. You could say that he's a patron saint of a liberal ecumenism. Mm. Uh, anyway, he's good enough to come to God, as opposed to the way that God has ordained that we should come to him. And in that time, it was by a blood sacrifice to show that death is the penalty for sin. And the sacrifice of animals would cover sin, but they could never take sin away. Only the Messiah's blood could actually take sin away. Mm. And that's what the Old Testament is pointing towards. Now we look backwards to the perfect sacrifice of the Messiah, which is why we don't sacrifice animals anymore, because that would be a blasphemy, because we're saying that the Messiah's blood is not sufficient for salvation, but it is. So we no longer sacrifice animals. But before that, animal sacrifices were required to cover the sin. Mm. So now just so we're all on the same page here, up to this point, uh, there seems to be a, a change in the created order. So now up to this point, was mankind allowed to eat the creatures and the animals? Well, no. Uh, see, the original diet, if you go to Genesis 1, uh, 29 and 30, the humans and animals were created to be vegetarian. There was to be no death of the nefesh chaya, which is the living creatures, the, man, the humans, the vertebrate animals, um, the fish. So God gave us exclusively a vegetarian diet, but because of Adam's sin, uh, the ground was cursed, and then eventually a plant's diet was not sufficient for us. I mean, broccoli is proof of the curse. <laughs> okay, so you look at Genesis 9.3, he says, and so I gave you the green plants, so he's reinforcing the original diet was green plants, but now I'm allowing you to eat the animals as well. Now, I do believe animals were meat-eating from some time between the fall and the flood. Animals had already become, became carnivorous, as I explain in my book. Um, but humans were not supposed to eat meat until after the flood, and God has given us this permission. This has never been revoked, okay? And we know that Jesus ate the Passover lamb, and he's perfectly sinless. So clearly eating meat is not a sin now. Jesus did. He, he ate fish after his resurrection. So that's the order we have now. We're allowed to eat both plants and animals, but that wasn't the original diet for us. And that was a big change in the Noahic covenants in Genesis 9. Wow. So the fear of mankind being upon every beast is because now we're eating them, right? Yeah, I think it's also for our protection too, because you think of animals who become... Uh, too close to us and they lose and therefore they're not afraid of us and might attack us if they get hungry mm. okay so it's a bit, a bit of uh, i think it's both ways so they're, they're afraid of us because we could eat them and i think it's to protect us to some extent too well that's amazing yeah think of just what's happening now in the coronavirus i remember back in april ish um they saw all the lions out on the streets of africa because everyone was shut down so perhaps oh, that has something to do with that uh too because they <laughs> the fear of us wasn't really on them at that time yeah, so it's good that they actually, for our sake, that they do uh, are afraid of us. I mentioned that on Genesis uh, uh, commentary on page five nine seven. I discussed it's actually a mutual thing. Mm. So, uh, this is a fundamental change in the created order mm. here because yes. now God is giving us permission to eat the animals. So, a major question mm. is: What gives God the authority to make such a drastic change at this point? Well, God has automatic authority because he's the creator and because he made it he owns it and therefore he has the right to do what he likes with it because he is the, the boss of everything uh, he has authority in himself and um, he uh, had, uh, owes no one else authority we all 
are under God's authority. He's not under anyone else's authority. So that he has perfect authority to do to, to make this change. Mm. So in this particular passage, he seems to prioritize his created beings here. So why yes. is that? Well, uh, the animals or the, or the men, the humans. Yeah, I mean, like he seems, he seems to uh, point out once again. You know, we're we're right up at the top, and he is now requiring the life of those that kill a human being. So, why exactly is that now? Point, because, uh, before then, as he came, um, did not receive the death penalty. He was banished, but he didn't get the death penalty. In fact, God prevented, uh, put a mark on him, so he wouldn't be killed by anyone else. Hmm. Um, but then you look uh, after Cain, you have this huge buildup of evil and violence before the flood. So God had to wipe it out and start over again. Okay. And one of those aspects is probably that, that murderers were not being punished and therefore would murder again without any deterrence. So after the flood, God has said, um, because man is made in God's image, anyone who, who strikes, who kills this image bearer um, must pay with his own life. So capital punishment uh, for murder was ordained in Genesis 9, and this has also never been revoked. So coming at that from just a little bit different of an angle, same point, why if all mankind, because this is a question that people ask as far as capital punishment Mm -hmm. is concerned, why if all mankind is made in the image of God, why does God value one over another? In this well, I think because he, he he values the image so highly. In fact, a capital punishment is actually a way of, of showing that you, def, you you truly respect life. That anyone who dares to take a life uh, must uh, pay with his own life. In fact, it's actually a it's it's actually the only way to elevate life. I think if we don't execute murderers, we're actually not valuing the, the victim of the murderer properly. Mm. That's amazing. So. Taking this up into the contemporary implications, what are the contemporary implications of this passage? We've already been talking about some of them, but how does this specifically apply to us in 2020? It seems to be the, the beginning of human governments because when you got this idea that the uh, capital punishment for a capital crime, uh, this sort of implies that there's a government to wield this authority of the swords um, against murderers. That's what you see in Romans 13, where the, the government doesn't bear the sword in vain. The sword is like what we would say, a gun, it's, it's, it's the main weapon of. of Mm. offense in the roman world so um the government has this authority and really must use this authority to 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 stop murderers in their tracks and, and prevent them from murdering again and to to deter other people from taking a human life so this is actually not the, the, this hasn't changed i know in the current system it's all about imprisoning people but i'm not so sure that's necessarily the biblical approach mm. I mean, the Bible is about restitution. I mean, if you, you take something, you've got to pay back with interest. That's the, that's mm. the biblical idea. Uh, you kill someone, your life is forfeit. And nothing about uh, spending huge amount of taxpayers' money putting people in cages. Mm. I mean, wow. that's the sort of the, the thing I, I, I would think. Um, I mean, restitution, restitution was the biblical way. We don't have that. The victim is not uh, recompensed for being a victim of crime, and we lock up the criminal if we're lucky, okay? But uh, the victim is never made whole. While the Bible tries to make the victim whole mm. by having uh, compensation with, with added interest. I mean, sometimes it's, several, it's uh, fourfold 
you, you take something, you pay back uh, four to sevenfold about of something. So it actually makes the victim whole to some extent. Now, we haven't got that in this country. I think we've forgotten the biblical roots of, of ju the justice system. Well, so do you think that that's one of the uh, atheistic approaches to the Bible, why they have it wrong? Because they seem to come at the believer with all of these arguments that mm -hmm. uh, typically they take like the worst possible scenario that they say, see, God ordained that, or God said, do this. Like they take the Canaanite children or babies being drowned in the flood. They take all of these mm -hmm. arguments and throw them at us, you know, outside of the original context so um, do, do you think that that's just because of a, of a misunderstanding, just because they simply do not understand uh, the, the larger narrative of the Bible? And there's also a rebellion there. They don't want to be accountable. I mean, if God made us, we he owns us, we're accountable to him. And by by having all these uh, whinges about God's character, they're actually denying their accountability to their maker. That's what it amounts to. It's a total mm -hmm. rebellion. And then you have to look at the consequences. I mean, the 20th century uh, saw a number of atheistic regimes around the world, and they killed 100 million of their own people in non-war deaths, in peacetime deaths. 100 million people were killed by their own atheistic government. So I think it shows you how bad it can be if, if, if the, the, the whole government rejects God. Uh, we had some appalling atrocities last century. Mm. But let me... Let me come at you and play devil's advocate for for just a moment from the. Let me just come at you and play devil's advocate of of the atheist perspective for for just a second. So you say a hundred million people, you know, died under the hands of of an atheist worldview. But what the atheist might say, I might come at you and say, is well, we've learned from that though, because now we want to do no harm. What would you say to them? Okay, but um, under atheism, what is in fact is wrong with, with killing 100 million people? How is it different from killing 100 million flies mm. or bacteria? You see, if we're all rearranged ponds, come, uh, ultimately there's no good or evil. But you can go to atheist evolutionists like Richard Dawkins who say, well, basically there's that good and evil and blame and responsibility, just illusions um, built into our brains by mutation and natural selection, they don't have any objective reality. So um, under what basis can they say that Stalin and Mao and Hitler were wrong? Mm. See, we can say they're wrong because we have a true basis that the one who made everything says, do not murder. Mm. I mean, atheists don't because they believe we're the result of survival of the fittest, where the, the strong overpower the weak. Mm. And in fact, also, uh, as far as evolution is concerned, we also have the eugenics movement in the first half of the, well, let's say, 1900s to the Second World War. You had eugenics, and a lot of the atheists and progressives were in support of eugenics. I mean, this country had forced sterilizations of about 60,000 Americans. Oh, wow. Because of the eugenics law. You don't hear much about that, but in fact, yeah, Nazis got some ideas from the American sterilization laws. Mm. Wow, that so, is... I mean, uh, we, we, we came close to, to, do, to going down that road ourselves. And the thing is, the philosophy that drove Nazi Germany and Stalinist Russia is the philosophy taught as fact and in the government schools today. Mm. Wow. So, uh, taking that and considering the atheist perspective, and we know just statistically 
that our, our country's in, in pretty bad shape uh, as far yeah. as, uh, as, as belief goes. Just people are, are falling away. And a recent study uh, revealed that only half of those that profess to be Christians believe in absolute moral truth. So my question to you, reflecting mm-hmm. on all of this, is do you think that our current culture right now is friendly in general toward the idea of authority? Uh, I wouldn't say so. Um, I mean, there's a good pockets of it. I mean, certainly some fine people around, but I think in general, probably not. I mean, uh, abortion is uh, supposedly a, a human right nowadays. Um, people can marry people of the same sex, which is just not marriage, and that's what the Supreme Court decides. So I think there's a lot of things um, that could be improved here. I mean, I don't want to knock this country too, but too badly. I mean... I've, I've come here, so I'm not going to come here and, and um, run down my my new homeland. I don't really right, think right. it's a good idea, but there are some things that could be improved for sure. All right. So uh, just the current climate, the current cultural climate here, do you think that, uh, and I, I know you don't want to run down your new homeland, I, I get that, but just uh, just looking at what's happening around us, you've already mentioned abortion a little bit. Uh, mm. How do you think this idea the rejection of authority is affecting our value of life today? Well, I mean, the, the abortion idea is that um, the, the woman uh, has the authority to kill her child inside her, and you get, the, this is backed up by lies saying well, it, it's a, a woman has the right to do what she likes with her own body. Well, in fact, it's not her own body, it's another body. Mm. And this is biology, and real science told you that life begins at conception. So we know for a fact that it's a human being inside her. But if you, if if the woman is her own authority, well, if she needs to, to fit into a prom dress, well, get rid of the kids. I mean, get, you get rid of spare cats. Why not get rid of spare kids? Mm. Wow. So, but in fact, uh, it, that's the whole the thing. I mean, somehow you got the impression uh, that a woman has a magical birth canal, so something goes through it and becomes a human being on the outside mm. of it mm. by magic, a clump of cells, magical birth canal, and then it becomes a human being with rights. Mm. That's magic. That's not science. No, yeah, that that takes a lot of faith for sure. So, uh, I mean, it, it takes more faith to, to believe that something magical like that happens than but just to look at the science. But now we're meant to believe that a man can become pregnant. Okay, that's what we're telling us now. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. Well, when, for instance, the Cancer Society says uh, uh, warns women. Uh, well, actually, it says individuals with a cervix. Mm. They used to be called women. Oh. But now it's individual with a cervix or people who menstruate. I mean, that's how, how ridiculous it's becoming. This is anti-science. No so, science at all. It's an anti-science position. We have a, a real difficulty in front of us. I mean, uh, in, in my state, New York State, there's even been mention mm. of, of euthanasia as an alternative. Yeah. And I know that it is in other parts of the world, too. I know um, Germany is becoming uh, very friendly to the idea. So um, I guess draw this out and kind of look at the whole world for a second uh, is is that part of the devaluation of life uh, i mean in regard to what we're looking at from this passage do you think well, i believe it's part of that because in fact when you look at the the history of germany around about 1920 a a lawyer and psychiatrist wrote a book called um annihilation of life unworthy of life that was in 1920 and, and just Four years later, Hitler wrote Mein Kampf. It's easy. You can see he was putting, whether he was aware of the book, but in particular, but that was a sort of culture that Hitler was 
was playing into the idea that such a thing is as life unworthy of life. Wow. And after the World War II, you had the Nuremberg trials, and uh, Dr. Alexander, Leo Alexander, uh, was trying to work out why you had the Holocaust. And he said the reason is that they first decided there's such a thing as human life unworthy of life, and they expanded the, the sphere so unworthiness became broader and broader. Once you, you go down that path, uh, no human is safe. And now we've, we're going back to that same sort of path. We declare some life as not worthy of life, uh, and therefore if it's if they're too old or inconvenient, we can knock them off. Or if they're inside the womb, we can knock them off. And now maybe if they're newborn, we can knock them off. There's no real uh, difference there. And uh, the only solution is to go back to the fact that all people from conception uh, onwards are made in God's image. Mm. So we're different from the animals. We're not uh, just an evolved animal. We are, we are qualitatively different by having the image of God, everyone. Mm. So with the handicapped uh, or what the down syndrome children are also made in the image of God, but Richard Dawkins thinks it's okay to kill down syndrome babies. Mm. My goodness. So when it comes right down to the nuts and bolts of the thing, uh, looking at this uh, issue of authority, I mean, Mm. we know from just human experience, uh, you know, set all of our worldview aside, someone has to be in charge. Someone has to make the make the call. So, I mean, with with abortion, someone has to be the one that says at eight weeks and not at sixteen weeks. You know, someone mm-hmm. has to make the call on euthanasia at, at this point of life and not this point of life. So, without God as uh, the the authority over the value of life, who gets to make these decisions? And that's the whole point. One of the most important questions uh, in running, pardon me, in society is who gets to decide. In some ways, that's even more important than what, what, the, uh, what the decision is, but who gets to decide. Mm. And, and unfortunately, uh, the media, um, Hollywood, uh, the modern education system has got the wrong people deciding. And, they're the, and invariably, they don't pay the price of faulty decisions either. That's not a problem. Mm. But in reality, uh, no, no human's worthy of deciding that someone else is unworthy of life. So that's why we have God as the one who made us, and he's the one who gets to decide who takes it. Wow. Wow. So how good of a job do you think the church at large, and you, you, can, you can look all over the world. We don't have to necessarily talk about the United States. How good of a job is the church, the universal church, doing at teaching biblical authority and its differing spheres of jurisdiction? Well, I, I have to wonder, even seeing some of the court battles that are going on now, uh, we've got governors try, uh, closing down churches, but of course, um, pot shops and liquor stores and, and casinos and abortion clinics are essential. They must remain open, mm. but churches must remain closed. You see, so um, even if you think that the secular government has a different sphere of authority from the church, it's clearly a, a encroaching upon the church's authority. And when see, when Jefferson said separation of church and state, which is not in the Constitution, that was what Jefferson wrote to the Danbury Baptist, and he was saying the state was not going to encroach on the church. The wall of separation was to keep the state out of the church. Wow. It wasn't to marginalize the church. It was to marginalize the federal government, to, to keep them out of the church. Wow. So... Where in the world, then, do we as the church in 2020, I mean, sitting here in the States, where do we even begin? How do we begin to, to redirect or re- re-steer our course? 
Well, I think it might start with the young people getting trained right from an early age. The Bible is not just a book of story, it's a book of history. That's something to start right very young and to show how the Bible is relevant for everything we do. Everything, um, every issue of even politics and morality uh, has an answer in the Bible. But if people think the Bible is just a book of stories and they go to the state school and they learn about things like um, the, the Greek and Roman and the Native American myths, and they come to the Bible, or maybe that's just a book of Hebrew myths, you see, so it, it has to be more than telling the kids it's a Bible story, we're going to tell them it's truth, it's historical, and also tell them how, how to teach them how to defend the Bible as well, hmm. and it's a good thing if the kids are asking questions, because it means they're thinking about the issues, so, so do encourage them to ask questions about things, see, if they're not asking questions, uh, the chances are they just borrowed your faith and they don't really have a faith of their own. That's not going to last when they leave home. So it's, it's actually a good thing if they're, they're asking questions. So to encourage the kids to, to ask questions and try and find answers. And if you don't know the answer, say so. And say that you'll try to go and find out somewhere. So on this, uh, just piggybacking off from this idea, uh, with the direction that we should be taking is there a particular book that you would suggest families uh, pick up maybe as as a resource where they could uh, help disciple their children in this area well actually on our website creation.com we actually have a, a parents corner button you see that's actually uh, it's for homeschool or buy and for homeschool but any parent can make use of it we want all parents to benefit from this uh, thing called parents corner we do have a lot of uh, children's um, and uh, teenage books uh, my book called christianity for skeptics might be something something uh, uh, good for someone who's reached the high school level i think it's a fairly uh, it's not a difficult book to understand so even refuting evolution is also written for the high school student but because christianity for skeptics goes further than just the creation it goes into uh, why we should trust the Bible, how we know Jesus is, the, is risen from the dead. Uh, what about other religions like Islam and Hinduism, New Age, uh, atheism? So it goes into quite a few of these um, um, uh, uh, opposition candidates, you might say, to Christianity. So the book is Christianity for Skeptics. That might be something for a family to go through. Well, that's wonderful. Well, Dr. Zafferty, I really appreciate this conversation. I really do, and I appreciate your time. And I just wanted to uh, give you an opportunity to tell our listeners how they can find out more about you and your ministry. Okay, we have a very easy website to remember. Our web address is creation.com. So creation.com is our website. We have uh, about 14,000 articles on the site. We have an, a good search button on the top right of every page. So you can find answers to almost everything you want, you'd like to ask. I mean, dinosaurs, about Genesis, about the Bible, about Jesus, who mm. God is, uh, radioactive dating, uh, morality and ethics, marriage, the family. You'll find all sorts of different things on this website, mm. thecreation.com. Don't forget that. Wow. Well, again, I thank you so much. I really appreciate your time, and thanks for coming on Master's Crib. Well, I enjoyed my time. Thank you for having me here. 